So is it appropriate or not to say Happy New Year? I don't know. I've gotten mixed messages. I think that's tomorrow. Um, so if you'd like, if you're doing nothing else tomorrow, we can gather like this. Happy New Year. It's exciting to end out, end the year and start a new year. Uh, we don't have any nursery today, by the way. So if you see kids having powwows on the floor and doing all kinds of things like that, we're all together today giving our uh, volunteers a break. And so it is what it is last week and this week. Looking forward to hearing little voices throughout, and it'll be just fine. We'll survive just fine. I'd like you, if you would, before we open God's Word, just by way of introduction, to imagine living in an era. Imagine, imagine living in an era of Christianity when the elder statesman of your movement was saying that people who deny the Trinity, the eternal nature of God, Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, who never even believe in Jesus, are going to heaven. So they don't believe the right thing about God that Christians believe. Uh, They don't believe the right thing about the gospel. They deny salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, In fact, you don't even have to believe in Jesus, but everybody goes to heaven. Imagine what that would be like. Maybe we could push it a little further uh, since the same person said you can belong to a different religion that is fundamentally, that are fundamentally opposed to the death of Christ, but you're still a member of the body of Christ. Imagine what it'd be like living in an era like that. And then I would say to you, you don't have to imagine it. The elder statesman of our movement in the last 100 years held to just such a theology. And I bring it up to you today because it's discouraging. It is discouraging for me as a pastor who's looking for role models. It is discouraging, I think, for us as a church because we're looking for role models. When things are hard, when we face opposition, and then our leaders don't toe the line. Our leaders cave and compromise. Our leaders practice what we might call gospel infidelity. So in a certain sense, how how can we do it if we're not great like they are? If you do a little research and you get online and say, you know, uh, top 10 evangelicals. People are supposed to believe the gospel. That's what evangelical means. And you see the list and you see some and you say, okay, that's a good person for the list. And yet, the list always contains numerous people, top 10, top 20, top 25, top 50, top 100. I've looked at all of them, people who don't even affirm the gospel. And yet, there are leaders. It's discouraging. So, I'm inviting you, if you will, to be discouraged in principle. How can we stand for the gospel, the good news about salvation in Christ, if even the greats don't do so, and they don't lead us by way of example, well, I'm not here to discourage you. That was just a thought exercise. I'm here to encourage you, to encourage you with how we can do that. How no matter what else happens, we as a local congregation, we as Christians, hopefully those of us who are pastors, can practice not gospel infidelity, but gospel fidelity, gospel faithfulness. And I would like to motivate you today with some encouraging words from the Bible, from Second Timothy. 
So if you have a Bible, you can find 2 Timothy. It's a short little letter, four chapters long. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2 today, we're going to look at verses 8 to 13. 2 Timothy 2, 8 to 13. And we find some motivations. Motivations for gospel faithfulness, gospel fidelity. And if you're just joining us, welcome. We're studying 2 Timothy together as a church, and you'll fit right in. I'll help you acclimate and understand what the letter is about. It starts with the word remember, which is really helpful given the fact that it's New Year's Eve and my feeds and my social media feeds and Instagram and all of these things, my my athletic accounts that's all about the year in review and look at what you did and look at what happened in your life. Remember, remember, remember. Well, today we're going to be able to remember, but it's not all that's happened in the last year. We're actually going to remember the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is something to beholden. How can we be faithful? Well, not by looking at our heroes, because heroes have clay feet, as has been said many times. But we can look to the Lord Jesus Christ and have our attention by the grace of God riveted upon Him and the gospel truth. And we can move forward and being faithful to the gospel, not unfaithful to the gospel. Because if we're not faithful to the gospel, why are we even here, right? Why call ourselves a church? We don't want to be a church in name only. I don't want to be a Christian in name only. I don't want to be a pastor in name only. So may the grace of God help us by the power of the Spirit of God to be motivated for the next year, yes, but in years to come with the truth of the gospel, even if no one else wants to be a part of it. That's kind of the agenda for today. In Second Timothy, here's what's happening. Paul, it's his swan song. He's ready to die. He's going to die under Roman execution. And so he's writing this important letter to his protege, to, to the one who's younger in the faith. He's been mentoring named Timothy, and he's passing on the spiritual baton, so to speak, so that the gospel will continue to go forth. Timothy's struggling. Timothy's pastoring in a, in a, a city called Ephesus. And he's pastoring a church, the Ephesian church there we learned in 1 Timothy. And so what he says to Timothy, I always like to say to you all, he's expecting Timothy to hear, but he's then expecting Timothy to tell the Ephesian church. And so this applies to pastors like me and our other pastors here, but it also applies to us as a local congregation because we're kind of in the same place the Ephesians are in. And they're struggling. Timothy's struggling because of cultural pressure. He's struggling because of the pressure of the congregation. And the congregation is struggling because of the cultural pressure. And maybe within the congregation. Wouldn't it be easier if we didn't stand for the faith? Wouldn't it be easier if we altered the message and maybe try to make it a little bit easier, a little harder, whichever one people are looking for? Wouldn't it be easier if we didn't stand for salvation being by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone? It's not really what people are looking for. Wouldn't it be easier if we compromised? That's what's happening. That's the tenor of the letter. And today we get some motivators. He's going to motivate Timothy, and hopefully I'm going to get motivated. Hopefully you're going to get motivated. And let's look at number one. First motivation for gospel, fidelity. I'll keep it to one word if you're a note taker to make it really easy. First motivation, what's the answer in Sunday school class when you have no idea what the answer is nine times out of ten? Starts with a J. Thank you. It's Jesus. 
right? The first motivation, and it'll be the main one we look at. It's Jesus. Jesus is the number one motivation. Regardless of who else is around, if they're faithful or they're not faithful, Jesus, the Savior himself, is the number one motivation for gospel faithfulness. Look to him. Notice what it says in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. And I so love those simple words. They're powerful words. They're simple words. They're profound words. You know what the Ephesian church needs to do? You know what Timothy needs to do? You know what we need to do? Beyond all other things, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the command. And literally it is in the present tense. You need to keep remembering Jesus Christ. You need to never forget Jesus Christ. Remember, 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 and keep remembering and remember some more. Have your attention and focus be riveted upon the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. I preached on 2 Timothy chapter 2 in another country one time, and about at this point in time, they're all chanting, Remember Jesus Christ. I didn't expect chanting at Omaha Bible Church, but different cultures are different. It was a glorious distraction, by the way, to the preacher in his mind. But let's at least have it in our hearts and minds, even if we're not chanting it. Remember Jesus Christ. I hope to end the sermon with that today again. Remember Jesus Christ. When I was preaching in that other country, they even taught me a handshake afterward that had three different movements to it. And they said, this is the handshake for that sermon. Remember Jesus Christ. That's what pastors need to do. That's what Christians need to do. That's what we need to do as a church. Present imperative, remember Jesus Christ. And then let's look at a little bit closer. That's the command. But why would he say remember Jesus Christ? Risen from the dead. Let's go on. Risen from the dead. The offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Let's start with remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Messiah. Remember Jesus ultimate king. And an ultimate king, as we like to say around here so often, a Messiah, a Christ, is one who protects his people, who provides for his people, who fights off enemies so that his people can be protected. He meets the needs of his people. If he's that kind of perfect king without corrupt motives... If he's the ultimate king, the ultimate Messiah, and the the Bible is Messiah-shaped... It's been waiting for such a Christ, waiting for such a Messiah since the fall. Since Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, there's been that messianic promise. And it runs throughout the whole Bible. Remember Jesus, born in Bethlehem, grows up in Nazareth. Remember Jesus Christ. He's the one. Remember that He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one that all of human history has been anticipating. Remember Him. Remember, gospel fidelity has everything to do with who He is because He is, even if people haven't known it, the one they've been waiting for. He's going to free them from their oppressors and abusers and those who enslave them. And ultimately, that's sin and death. Remember Jesus Christ. And He says, risen from the dead. I want to come back to that part. But He says, risen from the dead, the offspring of David... And I drew two lines there in my Bible. Christ, offspring of David, those two go together because 
David is a Christ. He's a Messiah. In fact, he's one of the better ones we find in biblical history. And Jesus, Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy, he's son of David, offspring of David. This, this puts all the, all the things, if you will, when it comes to Messiah, when it comes to Christ together. In the Old Testament, the explicit promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, made to David, who's about to die, so David can't fulfill it. We, in theology and in Christian vernacular verbiage, we call it the Davidic covenant. God covenants with David that there would be ruling and reigning forever and ever that is perfect, complete, good for the people so you don't have to have any ultimate fears. You can know that all of your needs will ultimately be met. That goes back to we need such a king. Jesus is, if he's the Christ, he is by necessity in the line of David, offspring of David. Paul's saying to Timothy, as you're thinking about maybe compromising, as you're maybe becoming passive and not bold and outspoken, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus is the Christ. Remember he is the fulfillment of the ultimate king, offspring of David. And by way of application, I have to say to you, as we grapple with what we should focus on at Omaha Bible Church, because there are so many things we could focus on, and there are so many good things, relatively speaking, there really and truly are. We, we here have so many needs. But the church is not called to meet everybody's need regarding everything. Right? And the gospel is not helping everyone with all of their problems. It's the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah, King, Son of David, offspring of David. It's about that. That he is the perfect one who would come and he would live a perfect life of obedience. He would die a sinner's death, though he was never a sinner. That he would be raised from the dead victoriously and he would ascend to the throne as the ultimate king who's promised to return. That's what we tell people. We tell people about the hope of forgiveness, the hope of having all of their needs met, including getting rid of their guilt and their sin and having a perfect savior and having a perfect king who will one day return and he won't be against them. He will be against their enemies and he'll be for them. Psalm 2, Psalm 110, 2 Samuel 7. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Timothy, pastors, Christians, remember Jesus Christ, offspring of David. He's the one. Why would we be trying to do other things when it's the ultimate thing? doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense at all. And remember that the, the broader picture of this letter, Paul's saying, you know, you need, you need to, and I'm paraphrasing, you need to rekindle the spirit in your heart. Don't be ashamed. Suffer, even if that's what it takes. Because this is the most important thing. The most important thing we would ever do or say, even if people are offended by it, is to tell them about how to have their sins taken care of. To tell them about how how to have all their ultimate needs met. And it is the good news of salvation in Christ. Isn't it weird that he has to say to a pastor, remember Jesus? I think it's super weird. I mean, isn't that kind of the whole point, right? 
Isn't it super weird that a church has to say, has to be told, what you need to never forget is Jesus. You're like, duh. (laughs) Well, maybe it's not so much a duh. The Lord Jesus also knew that we're prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it as the song goes. Even in giving us the Lord's Supper, until he comes, it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, until I return again, you know what you need to do? You need to eat and drink bread and wine. Why? In remembrance of me. Because our tendency is to have spiritual ADHD, right? Squirrel, (laughs) right? Shiny objects. And we get sucked in to making the main thing something other than the main thing, which cuts people off from, from the main thing. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. It's his person. It's his work. Remember him. Have your attention be riveted upon him. He also does say there, he says in verse 8, risen from the dead. I wanted you to connect Christ and offspring of David, but he does say risen from the dead. Even there, for a grammar lesson, it's in the perfect tense. Still risen from the dead. That's a great, profound theological point. He was raised from the dead, but you know what? He's still raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead for lots of reasons. He's raised from the dead because he proves he, it proves he was who he said he was. He promised that that would happen and that happened. He's raised from the dead, the Bible says, for his vindication, for his justification. The wages of sin is death. He never sinned. And as a matter of fact, he always did the right things. So he was declared to be always doing the right things at his resurrection. First Timothy says. He's raised from the dead, First Corinthians 15 says, as the first fruits. So he's raised from the dead to show that we who trust in him will be raised from the dead. And it's not just faith and faith. And the list goes on. The, the resurrection also, Peter ties it in the book of Acts. He ties the resurrection to the ascension. And it's like phase one of exaltation. Phase two of exaltation is ascension, which is rather profound in our text here to cross-reference to Acts chapter two. We won't do it for the sake of time because he's connecting resurrection and offspring of David. And if he's the offspring of David who fulfills the Davidic covenant, that means he's going to be on the throne ruling and reigning. And that assumes there is an ascension. As you can tell, I get pretty excited about this. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. No other religion offers such a promise where there's actual objective historic proof to back it up. Why would Omaha Bible Church want to be about something else first and foremost? We wouldn't want to be. It's crazy, but we have to keep remembering this reality lest we have mission drift, which is so easy to happen. Now, again, I've mentioned this before. I'll mention it again. I'm so thankful for what's happening in the life of Omaha Bible Church. I'm so thankful for our pastors and elders and for the spirit of the church. And I think these are good and healthy days. I'm super encouraged. So it's not like this is a huge problem and I'm like the scoldy guy today. I'm I'm saying just remember to remember. (laughs) Let's be encouraged, but let's not forget. Let's have humility and, and take heed lest we fall kind of thing. But a good time to remember, even as we start a new year, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, offspring of David. It's got to be what we do and what we're about.
He does then say, in verse 8 at the end, as preached in my gospel. What does that mean? We won't take a lot of time on that. Well, what does it mean as preached in my gospel? Well, he certainly doesn't mean that, you know, he preached a certain gospel and Peter preached a different gospel and Jesus preached a different gospel. That's surely not what he means. He doesn't mean that the gospel originates from him. Surely it doesn't. He, he's not getting at that because it's all been about Christ. So what does he, why does he say as preached in my gospel? It seems what he means by that is they've been hearing him preach. Timothy heard him preach the gospel. The Ephesians heard him preach the gospel. He's known for preaching a certain good news message. And he's saying, my certain good news message, maybe that you guys are thinking about watering down or compromising. My gospel is the same as the gospel. My gospel is Jesus is the Christ. My gospel is Jesus is the resurrected one. My gospel is Jesus is offspring of David, fulfilling the ultimate eternal plan and purpose of God for sinners to be saved. So as you maybe are tempted about saying, you know, Paul, the gospel he preached led led him to be imprisoned. And he's going to talk about that. So maybe it's not right. I mean, if, if preaching that way, that content gets you imprisoned and you're going to lose your life, maybe there's a different kind of good news we could preach, a different kind of good news message that we could preach. No. I think what he's doing is he's saying, my gospel, the one you're thinking about walking back or walking away from, is the gospel. I think that's what he's getting at. He does then say in verse 9, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. And then he says the word of God is not bound. So that, that's pretty helpful right there. It is true. He's not done denying it. He's not backing away from it. We could also know that the true gospel isn't uh, how to avoid suffering. No, Paul's preaching the true gospel and it's led to suffering. Going back to those lists of evangelicals that say things that sound a lot like the gospel means you won't suffer anymore. The gospel means you'll be wealthy. The gospel means you'll be rich. The gospel means you'll be healthy. The gospel means you'll have your best life now, right? I know that's old, but he's still on the list. The gospel, and just so we're clear on this, as a Christian who follows Christ, I am suffering. So Paul doesn't back away from it. He steps into it. It is true this leads to conflict. It is true that this is not what everyone wants to hear. And he's honest about it. Jesus, if you study the life of Jesus and what Jesus said, Jesus was honest with his disciples about it as well. It's true, the gospel takes care of your biggest problem, but it doesn't take care of all of your problems in the here and now. In fact, it might lead to worse problems in the here and now. So that sometimes is the temptation to say, well, maybe we need to doctor up the message because we don't like suffering. No, 
Remember Jesus Christ, even risen from the dead. So even if it's, if it leads to the worst outcome, which it's, it's going to for the apostle Paul, he is preaching a message that is inseparably linked from the one who conquered the grave. And so there's great motivation in that. Remember Jesus Christ. Yes, it leads to suffering if you're faithful, but just know who you're trusting in. Bound with chains as a criminal. Not a criminal, but as a criminal. I want to save the next one for the next motivation. First one's the longest, promise. By way of an illustration... I remember reading an account of a woman whose husband died. I don't remember the details. But she tells the story about how she and her husband were a part of an evangelical church. I know that word kind of has lost its meaning. Evangelical just means uh, gospel. So we evangelize, we tell people the gospel. The evangel is the good one, the good news about him. So it's a great word, but... Evangelicals kind of lost its meaning. It used to be the people who believe the Bible and that Jesus is the Savior, the good news. And now it's broad. So sometimes I would have to say we're part of evangelicalism because we believe the gospel. Um, other times I, I don't want anything to do with the label because of what it means. And I want to say I, I'm just a Bible-believing Christian. Um, I'm, a, I'm a, a Reformed Christian who identifies with the Protestant Reformation or something else other than that. But it is true. We're part of evangelicalism because we're not part of something else. So the woman tells the story how her husband died. And on the next Sunday that she went back to church, she purposely did not go to her evangelical church that on paper believes the truth of the gospel. Here's what she did instead. She went to the church that she knew of that doesn't believe the gospel. But they still have all of the liturgy. They still have all of the forms. She went to a denomination that had become theologically leftist and dead. And they don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. But at least they still read the scriptures that talk about it. Because she wanted to be comforted with the gospel, even though the preacher doesn't believe the gospel, at least he would read the passages. I tell you the story because it's kind of, kind of ironic, kind of interesting. And maybe a wake up call for us who say, well, we, we're gospel people. But when you come to the service, you didn't hear anything about who Jesus is or what he's accomplished. You just heard timeless truths from the Bible to make your marriage better. Or to make you a better parent or a better child. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a better marriage. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a better parent or a better citizen. And the Bible does address some of these issues. But first and foremost, Paul is not writing to Timothy with advice with regarding how to transform Ephesus. And to make Ephesus a better place. It's not where it's at. Christians, since there have been Christians have thought there's one thing that's number one, and it is Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, 
according to the gospel. But sometimes we get distracted and think we're here to try to meet everybody's needs and make Omaha a better place to live. I want Omaha to be a better place to live. I pay a lot of taxes, right? Unlike some of you who live across the river, I'm not going to pick on you guys. <laughs> May the Lord bless you. <laughs> but you see, you see the idea. It's so easy for us in the name of love, in the name of help, to lose focus of what the main thing is. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, first importance, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. I hope when you come next week and we're in another passage, you're going to hear the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then next week we're in another passage, and the next week we're in a different passage, and you get the idea. The good news about Christ that leads to our salvation, Romans 1, but in Romans 16 it also leads to our spiritual maturity and growth the more we understand and deal with the truth about what it means to be in Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Can I use one more illustration? And this one's really risky. I'm going for it. Maybe this will be a two-part sermon. I don't know. Here's where I'm trying to figure out if I should do it or not. I'm not doing it. (laughs) I'm a Protestant. So I think at the Protestant Reformation, a lot of things were not done perfectly, but the gospel was recovered. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone. It's not by faith plus your works. When I walk into a Catholic church, and I have friends who are Catholic, and I love my Catholic friends, so don't mishear me. But when I walk into a Catholic church and I see a crucifix, I am offended. I'm offended because Jesus was raised and ascended. I'm offended because it's a violation of the second commandment. I'm offended. But, but here's the thing. I want to point the finger at us for a moment in principle. At least I get the idea that what's happening there is primarily about Jesus. And I often don't get that idea when I'm in evangelical churches that are supposed to be about the evangel. Just think about it. If anything, I'm trying to encourage you, us, pastors. Our business, if I can call it business, is about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sure, no crucifixes, but it's not about timeless truths for happy living in the here and now. It simply is not. It is about if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, His person and work, God will accept you freely in Him. And that is your greatest need. And He's been raised and ascended. 
demand that the church be about Jesus and not about something else first and foremost. That's all I'm trying to say. Another motivation. Remember Jesus Christ is the main one. Then ever so quickly, number two, a second motivation for gospel fidelity for us, for me, I hope. In one word, let's just call it word. Capital W-O-R-D, word. And we're talking about the word and its power. This motivates me because in verse nine, he goes on to say, after talking about suffering, he says, but the word of God is not bound. And I love that too. I love the remember Jesus Christ. How about, and I also love and I'm motivated by the word of God is not bound. It is unstoppable. There's nothing that can stop it. Even the execution of the great apostle Paul, even the imprisonment of the great apostle Paul. He's saying, you know what? The word of God is not bound. I'm bound, but it is not bound. Remember that Timothy. Remember that Ephesians. Remember that Omaha Bible church. Remember that Pat Abendroth. Even if there is conflict, and I, I take it here, and we don't have to have a church split over this, that word is, it could just be the Bible in general, and we could talk about that being true. I take it more in line of, let's capitalize it, and like in John chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The living word, the second person of the triune God, the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. I take it that way here. Seems to fit the letter nicely. So just know, you're going to remember Christ, you're going to preach Christ, you're going to take it on the chin if need be, even if it means suffering, but just know this, and this just helps you to step into the suffering if you have to. It's not bound, it's not imprisoned, it can't be stopped, Christ cannot be stopped, and his gospel cannot be stopped. This is awesome. This is This is great. It doesn't depend upon even the great Apostle Paul and his freedom. The gospel is the gospel, and the gospel, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. Just let it out. Just proclaim it. Proclaim it to anybody and everybody, and just know that God will do his work. The Lord Jesus Christ will build his church. Matthew chapter 16. Whether he uses us or not, I would like to be used unstoppable, powerful. For those of you who are into grammar, again, perfect tense. God's word, one commentator put it this way in light of perfect tense. God's word has not been and is not now imprisoned. It's impossible to do. It's impossible to do. I won't take the time to go there, but the Apostle Paul, like in Philippians, he's imprisoned, a different imprisonment, more than likely, in Philippians and in that imprisonment. The suffering and the imprisonment's actually leading to more gospel ministry happening and God's strange, mysterious providence. Still going out in chapter 1, verses 12 and following. That motivates me. A mighty fortress captures it nicely. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. It's not always been the case, but it's often been the case that the blood of the martyrs is the seed, the church, gospel going forward. That motivates me. Okay, let's move on to a third. I promised that one was short and I'm living up to my promise. Another motivation for gospel fidelity for us, it hopefully would have been for Timothy and the Ephesians. Another one word outline point and that's election. 
election. And I don't mean the 2024 election. This one might be offensive to some of you because you didn't know it was in the Bible. But it's not meant to be offensive. It's actually meant to be encouraging. To stand fast and be firm and steadfast in doing faithful gospel proclamation. And you know what motivates us about this? The reality of election. How about verse 10? Look at that. Therefore, I endure everything. So Paul's in prison because of the gospel, suffering for the gospel, but he knows that the gospel can't be imprisoned. And so therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Maybe that, if we had a church kiosk sign, we could put that out there. Omaha Bible Church for the sake of the elect. How do you think that would go over? Probably not very good by, you know, evangelical leaders. Oh, Omaha Bible Church, they don't do evangelism. They believe in election. Oh, (laughs) it's the opposite here. He's talking about the gospel and the progress of the gospel and, and how he's not freaking out that he's suffering and in prison. You know what? The word of God is not bound. I'm remembering Christ and his resurrection power. And by the way, since he was raised and ascended, he sent his spirit. That fuels all of this. And so, you know what I do is that the apostle Paul, and he's trying to tell Timothy, you do this too. And then tell the Ephesians, they do this too. Here's your mindset to do all things for the sake of the elect. Wow. Don't tell me theology isn't practical for the life of the church. Do all things for the sake of the elect, not all things for the sake of acceptance, all things for the sake of popularity, all things for the sake of, you know, somehow getting elected as the number one church in Ephesus. No, the mindset is you do everything that you do in gospel ministry for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I absolutely, absolutely am motivated by that. So we don't save people. We can't save people. Ephesians 2 says people are dead in trespasses and sins, spiritually speaking. But we are called to preach the gospel. In 2 Timothy, we're called to protect the gospel because if you don't protect it, you can't preach it. But our mindset is theological that leads to practical. We preach Christ to everyone and we know that the gospel cannot be bound and we know that there will be people who respond. Unto our text right there says salvation and who is it that will ultimately be saved? The people that we... Manipulate the people that we reach by an altered message. Some people like legalism. Let's make it more legalistic. Some people like something softer. So let's, let's soften it and say there's many ways to heaven and hope I found this way to be the best way or things like this. No, salvation isn't accomplished in people's hearts and lives that way. It's actually accomplished through the proclamation of the gospel. And you know what? The apostle Paul's willing to suffer for it because he does all things for the sake of the elect because the elect will be saved. Not because they're better. It's mysterious. Read Ephesians 1. But it's, it's right there. There it is. Okay. That's really helpful. That's super helpful. One person had this observation. There will always be people who argue that the doctrine of election makes missions and evangelism unnecessary, but they are wrong. It does not make missions and evangelism unnecessary. It makes missions and evangelism hopeful. Because apart from God doing a supernatural work in somebody's life, 
Nobody's going to believe it. But God does work in people's lives. And they believe it. Well, maybe just a couple more things about that and we'll do the last one. One would be, remember Acts 13.48. You can just jot it down. I'll just cite it off the top of my head. But in Acts 13.48, all those who had been appointed unto eternal life believed. All those who had been appointed unto eternal life believed. The apostles just could could show up and preach Christ to anybody and everybody, but they didn't have to change the message to try to get more people to come forward with a made-up altar call that they wouldn't have done. Okay? They didn't do that. They, they, they preached the gospel, see, could, could keep it pure, to everyone, and then they trust God for the results, if you will, and all those who were appointed unto eternal life believed. You go, this just makes sense. This makes sense in light of Romans chapter 10, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So God has ordained the means. It's our proclamation, and mysteriously, we don't know who these people are until there's the response. And then we say, hmm chosen before the foundation of the world in light of Ephesians 1. This is a great reality. It's what keeps us from being manipulators. It's what keeps us from being salespeople. We're proclaimers of good news, and we tell anyone and everyone, we say, Acts 16, believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. That's what we do. And we wait for God to work. Motivating. This motivates me toward proclamation, but also protection. We won't take the time to go there, but read John chapter 6 if you're struggling with this. And just know, read John 6 this afternoon and realize that the Apostle Paul is saying what he's saying because he learned it from Jesus. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Ever think about that before? Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's John 6.37. John 6.45. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Read John chapter 10. They will listen to my voice. John chapter 10. You do not believe because you are not of my flock. I know that's controversial. But I think the reason it's in the Bible for Christians and churches, it's to help us not try to get more converts. Because there's a bad thing about us making converts. There are converts. We want to preach the true gospel to anyone and everyone and we know that those who've been appointed unto eternal life will believe. It's amazing. It really is amazing. Okay, we'd better move on to this last one. How about number four, a fourth motivation for gospel fidelity, and that is union. Union. And I mean being united to Christ. So here we are struggling If we're the Apostle Paul, are they going to kill me or not? They end up executing him. I'm suffering. Is it really worth it or not? Remember earlier we talked about resurrection. And then Timothy's watching Paul and the Ephesians are watching Paul and they're going to find out 
after not very long that they do execute him, that's not very motivating. It's not very motivating when, maybe let's argue on a little lesser scale, when you're a Christian and you tell your family members that you love and cherish very much the gospel and it doesn't lead to better family relationships, it leads to worse ones. He brings motivation through reminding them of what's true for you if you're a Christian. How about verse 11? Wrapping this up. The saying, the saying, the special saying. Some would say this may have been an early Christian hymn or song. The saying is trustworthy. So this is at a minimum something Christians repeated. If they Maybe they sang it, maybe they didn't. But they, they repeated this again and again and again, sort of like a creed. The saying is trustworthy. So remember, all Christians don't have Bibles. Most Christians don't have Bibles. They would gather together and hear the reading of Scripture. And so way before the printing press, so we're memorizing key doctrinal truths that motivate us and help us so we can face tomorrow one more day, even if it means opposition. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. There it is. The two great withs. (laughs) If we have died with Him, and we have, if we're in Christ, spiritually speaking, read Romans chapter 6, and if we've died with Him, we will most certainly, absolutely, without question, live with Him. And so I can face the tough times because of my being united together with Christ, because of the great doctrine, the great reality of union with Christ. I receive Christ and all of his benefits, and so I can face hard times in the here and now. That helps me to be motivated. Motivated. And then he says some sobering and encouraging words both. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And I'm not going to try to be controversial about my take on this. There's kind of a divide amongst common-minded Bible-believing Christians. I think at face value, the best way to take it is if, if we endure, we'll reign with Him, as in Timothy and Ephesian church. Are you going to be faithful or not? And history says they didn't last very long. Paul has already talked about people who were with him and stayed with him. And he's talked about people who were with him and couldn't handle the pressure because of opposition to Christ and they've left him. I do think he's encouraging Timothy and the Ephesian church to not deviate. Don't turn from the Christ, the son of David, the resurrected one. Don't do it. It's not worth it. But you know what is worth it? Endurance. By God's grace, fueled by God's grace, by the power of the Spirit. If we endure, we will reign with Him. Right? Heirs. Ruling and reigning. The Messiah. The Son of David. We're going to reign with Him? Man, I'm motivated by union. I'm super motivated by union. But then he does go on to say something sobering. Verse 12. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. I just take it that that's what it means. I don't think you become a Christian by you being faithful and persevering. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. But if you've trusted in Christ alone as your Savior, you're called to endure And you endure and you reign. And if you don't, 
There's a category called apostasy. That's happened in Paul's inner circle. So it's a sobering moment. Then in verse 12, it says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Some take those people I really respect as encouraging words. Perhaps they're meant to encourage. In light of verse 12, I don't think personally that verse 13 is meant to encourage. It's meant to remind us that God won't deny himself in his own justice. I think it's meant to be sobering. Don't be like those who've walked away. Don't do it. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, according to Paul's gospel, according to the gospel. Remember, 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 remember. May God help us. Yes, tomorrow's a new year. In 2024, to not be about something as Christians and as a Christian church other than Christ. Super simple. Super simple. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the men and women and boys and girls here today. Thank you for the fact that you have called us to believe in Christ and you've supernaturally worked in our lives to believe in Christ, to see him as our savior. And Lord, thank you that you've also called us as a local church and as members of a local church to not move on to something else, but to do what even Jesus himself said to do, to remember him. It is about him. Our hope is in him. It is not in ourselves. May that cause us to want to endure and to be motivated no matter what happens Where else can we go, Jesus, for you have the words of eternal life. May we say that along with the disciples in John chapter 6. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.